The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David, and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for Jehovah the Lord is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, he will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day you will say, Praise the Lord, call upon his name. Declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention of his name exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitants of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. For he who has mercy on them will lead them. Even by the springs of water, he will guide them. Sing, O heavens, be joyful, O earth. Break out in singing, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy on his afflicted. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, and who says to Zion, your God reigns. May God bless the reading of his word. Please. I was just reflecting this morning on all of the aspects that are tied to the coming of the Lord. By that I mean we speak of love, uh, the love of Christ, the love of God manifested to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, the joy that we sing about, the joy of, of what the coming of Christ means and brings into our lives. Uh, peace is the one we're thinking about this morning as we continue our series during this Advent time on the words of uh, the prophet Isaiah, as he described the, the coming uh, Messiah, uh, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and now this morning, the Prince of Peace. When the multitudes of the heavenly host appeared to the shepherds on the Palestinian hills, they declared glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Each Christmas, we send out Christmas cards and receive cards, and often they express the aspiration of peace on earth. Much of the connection uh, between the birth of Christ and the expectation of peace on earth comes from the predictions that are penned for us in the Old Testament prophets, especially the prophet Isaiah. And in the context of the Isaiah 9-6, where we have been looking, 
we find that even before that, early on in the second chapter of Isaiah, uh, the concept of peace is given. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, we read, He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Then as we move on in Isaiah from chapter 2 to chapter 9, we have this reference to peace connected to the verses that we have been looking at with the names of the Messiah. Before Isaiah 9, 6, we read, Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of his increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And as you continue on in the book of Isaiah, the 11th chapter, we read these words. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And then it has another kind of messianic statement about the one who is to come. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of counsel and power. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Then several verses later, after giving this kind of messianic description of the one who is to come, we read these words that we often hear. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a child, little child will lead them. And the cow will feed with the bear. The young will lie down together. And a lion will eat straw like an ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his uh, uh, into the viper's nest. They will neither harm or destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Throughout the prophets, not only Isaiah, but on into the other minor prophets as well, this theme of the one who is to come who will bring peace, the Prince of Peace. It's verses such as this that inspired the Quaker painter, Edward Hicks, to put uh, his paint to canvas and paint what he called the peaceable kingdom. And then there's a zoo in Thailand that specializes in cross-species adoption. They've had great success in getting lions to lay down with other species. For example, they were able to get a tiger to nurse some pigs. Evidently, the tiger had lost its cubs, and it was a great relief to be lactated by a bunch of little pigs. <laughs> the American humorist and essayist Mark Twain had a rather cynical view about this whole idea of peace on earth. He said that it might be possible to get these higher animals to live together. But it was an altogether different thing 
when it came to human beings. He wrote about his experiment. He wrote, in an hour, I taught a cat and a dog to be friends. I put them in a cage. In another hour, I taught them to be friends with the rabbit. In the course of two days, I was able to add a fox, a goose, a squirrel, and some doves. Finally, a monkey. They lived together in peace, even affectionately. Next, in another cage, I confined an Irish Catholic from Tipperary, and as soon as he seemed tame, I added a Scottish Presbyterian from Aberdeen. <laughs> Next, a Turk from Constantinople, a Greek Christian from Crete, an Armenian Methodist from the wilds of Arkansas, a Buddhist from China, and a Brahmin from Bombay, and finally a Salvation Army colonel. Then I stayed away for two whole days. Needless to say, when I returned, the results were not pretty. A disarray of fezes, rosaries, turbans were all scattered about. The military historian Homer Lee concluded that out of the past 3,400 years of human history, only 234 of those years could be classified as peaceful. We know that today. There's warfare in Ethiopia, genocide in the Congo, and the ongoing conflict in the Middle East between the Israelis and the Palestinians. In the midst of the Civil War in the United States in 1864, the poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote a poem which has become the words to a familiar Christmas carol. Wadsworth's poem came about after a series of tragic events in his life. The Civil War had begun in 1861. That same year, his wife, Fanny, was sealing a lock of hair from their young daughter in an envelope with sealing wax. Her dress caught fire, and she ran into the library where Wordsworth put out the fire, beating it with a small floor rug, and then finally he tried to smother it with his own body, burning himself. His wife's burns were fatal. The first Christmas after the tragedy, he wrote, how inexpressibly sad are the holidays. A year after that incident, he wrote, I can make no record of these days. Better leave them wrapped in silence. Perhaps someday God will give me peace. Something happened to Longfellow. In his journal entry on December 25th, 1862, the following year, it read as follows. A Merry Christmas, say the children, but that's no more for me. In 1863, his eldest son, serving in the Civil War, died of a gunshot wound. In 1864, he wrote the poem that has become the carol we sing every Christmas. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carol say, and wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. One of the verses says, and in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And then the next verse, yet peals the bell more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. 
the wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. The only hope that Henry Wadsworth Longfellow found was the fact that he still believed that there was something that was going to happen because of the Prince of Peace coming to inhabit this planet. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow found peace because of his confidence in a living God who loved him and who will one day make all things right. So the question we need to ask this morning is, how are you and I when it comes to peace? Are we at peace? Jesus was born with the announcement of peace. The Old Testament, the words that we've been repeating is, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Over the last year or two, with the Black Lives Matter movement, there's been a slogan that has come to the fore, and it was, it's this. No justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. You can read that two ways. One is that there can be no justice without peace, and there can be no peace without justice. Or, if you want to be a bit more cynical, no justice, no peace means it's a threat. That is extracted against anyone who does not bow to the protesters' demand. But there's a connection between justice and peace. In the same sections of Isaiah that prophesy the coming of a prince of peace, the theme of justice prevails, and there is a connection between justice and peace. In the uh, chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, where we read, Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and rob them uh, of justice, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. That sandwich between the reference of the shoot of Jesse that will come up and the efforts that we've talked about in Isaiah 9-6. The image of how in his reign the wolf will lie down with the lamb. We see that he will bring peace through justice. We read these words in Isaiah. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy with justice. He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, said as he came, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. In other words, the peace that Jesus gives is different than what we might expect. Where do we need peace? There's a song with these lyrics. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. In order for peace to begin, with me, we must have experienced peace. There can be no peace on earth until there is peace in our individual hearts. Are you 
and I at peace with God. That's the most important and foundational peace from which all other peace springs. And the Prince of Peace came so that we might, first of all and foremost, find peace with God. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 and following says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The whole purpose for Jesus coming to this earth is that as the Prince of Peace, he could bridge the gap between us and our Heavenly Father and bring peace where we were alienated from God. The book of Isaiah speaks to this in Isaiah 53. Surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, stricken down and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and he's turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The purpose for the Prince of Peace coming to this earth was to offer himself as an atoning sacrifice to cover our wrongs so that we might stand before God, cleansed by his blood and free of all of the alienation which has accumulated between us and our Heavenly Father. That's where justice comes in. We are justified. We are made right. We are made in harmony with God by trusting in what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, the Apostle Paul writes, God was reconciled to us God reconciled us to himself through Christ. There's the connection. Peace, reconciliation, comes as a result of what Jesus has done on our behalf. And peace on earth begins with peace with God. Ultimately, there can be no peace on earth as long as people are alienated from God and that sinks into their very being and causes them to be alienated from God and therefore experiencing alienation from one another. But the scriptures also make it abundantly clear that when we have come to be reconciled with God through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, then we can become instruments of peace. We can join the Prince of Peace and be peacemakers in our world. Once we have peace with God, by the Holy Spirit indwelling us, we can become instruments of peace. Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount begin and have the Beatitudes. And one of the Beatitudes says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall see God. By the way, we're going to begin a series starting after the first of the year on the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll begin by looking at some of these Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall see God. Throughout the New Testament, those who have found reconciliation with God are challenged to respond by being peacemakers. 
Paul writes in Romans 12, 18, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. In Hebrews 12, we read, work at living in peace with everyone and working at living a holy life where those who are not holy will not see God. We live in an age of a lot of turmoil, a lot of uh, less than peace, where people are at odds with one another. And for those who have been reconciled to God, we are given the task, the mission of being reconcilers. That same text in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 5, which talks about the being God has reconciled us through Christ, says that we are to be ministers of reconciliation. And I think the Lord is calling many of us these days in the light of all of the anger and, and uh, division that's within our communities to be reconcilers, to be peacemakers, to do all that we can to bring uh, hostile parties back together. St. Francis' prayer, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is error, truth. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O oh, Divine Master, grant that I may not seek so much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying to ourselves that we are born to eternal life. The Prince of Peace came to reconcile us to our Heavenly Father, to God. And as he does that, he brings within us, he comes to indwell us, and we are in Christ, and Christ is in us, and if Christ, the Prince of Peace, dwells within us, then we have the possibility and the opportunity to be peacemakers in our world. World peace. Global peace. Even that, is prophesied in the Old Testament. In Zechariah 9, uh, verse 9 and 10, we read, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Remind you of anything in the New Testament? I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. That's the promise that comes from the Old Testament regarding this Prince of Peace. That he will rule. It's interesting that as you think about the rule of our Father, the rule of the Messiah. This is my Father's world. He rules over it right now. He is in charge. Nothing is out of his purview or his control. So in one sense, 
He does rule as the Prince of Peace, although we don't see it in our lives. There's a sense in which we can bring peace, but ultimately that peace comes only when Jesus Christ comes back in the second coming. He promises that he will come. And in the book of Revelation, we read the seventh angel stands with his trumpet and there were loud voices in the heavens which said, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah and he shall reign forever and ever. I talked as it began about the words that come to mind as we think about the coming of Christ. Love, joy, peace, hope, hope. In a broken world, which for thousands of years, as the uh, historian has said, have, have been racked by war. The hope of the Christian is this, that the Prince of Peace, who inaugurated some of the kingdom's characteristics when he came the first time, will accomplish his ultimate plan of bringing peace on earth when he comes back the second time and he will rule the earth forever and ever. And so we sing with the Messiah, hallelujah. He shall reign forever and ever. That's the king. That's the prince of peace. That's the one we celebrate as we come to Christmas this Saturday. The God of peace be with you all. Let's pray.